it's good to see you all today on President's Day weekend. I know it's a holiday for a lot of folks, and uh, if you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor of the church, and uh, we're glad you're here. You're always welcome to what we have going on. I hadn't preached the last few weeks. Um, Joe and Brian did a great job. I know I tease those guys sometimes. They really are. We're very fortunate to have guys who just do such a good job preaching like those guys. I preach 40 times a year. The other 12, Joe gets about seven of those, Brian, Troy, and Stephen, the other uh, five, and they all do a great job. We're, we're blessed. We're blessed to have a lot of talent. Uh, Brian calls me yesterday, and he says, man, I can't sing. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I've been telling you that for a long time now. But um, <laughs> So uh, he put together Plan B, and they did a fantastic job. Uh, he was down. I have allergies. I'm fine if I stop and take a drink of water just because of that. Easter is on uh, Sunday, March 31st this year. In two weeks, the first Sunday in Easter, the first Sunday of March, we begin our Easter series, The Journey to the Cross. We're really excited about that for these next two weeks. It's not really a series. I got one long sermon to preach. I'm going to divide it up into two sections this week and next week. Um, and it's from John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well will be in part one today. And uh, these next two weeks, this is what I really want you to get out of this message, these two messages, really. And what I want you to see is this. No matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, no matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus can save you. It's just that simple, man. That is the most fundamental message that we preach, that I preach, that our church teaches and preaches. Jesus saves you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, no matter who you are, what you've done, he can save you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to understand it doesn't matter who walks through the door of this church, what they look like, what they've done, Jesus can save them and change their lives. And so we're going to talk today and begin kind of with the journey with Jesus. Jesus takes a lot of journeys. And in John chapter 4, and understand, they didn't write in chapters back then. They just wrote, we added chapters, or they added chapters later. Um, in John chapter 4, Jesus is taking a journey. Now, in John chapter 3, he's in Jerusalem. He encounters this guy named Nicodemus. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. He is a big shot, a big deal. Eventually, he becomes a follower of Jesus. And when Jesus dies and Joseph of Marimathea takes him off the cross and buries him, Nicodemus is a part of that process. It's this encounter with Nicodemus that we get two of the fundamentally important statements of Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 3, he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And later on in John 3, 16, he says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, whoever might believe in him would never perish but have eternal, everlasting life. After his encounter with Nicodemus, he's hanging around Jerusalem and Judea, and his guys are baptizing people. You probably don't think about the fact that Jesus' followers, Jesus, Jesus didn't baptize them, but his disciples did. It wasn't a salvation baptism. In other words, it wasn't a baptism after salvation like we see in Acts because they weren't getting saved yet. It was a baptism similar to that of John the Baptist, which dealt with the repentance and a renewed life. And because of this, some of the followers of John the Baptist, some of his guys, had a little tension with some of Jesus' guys. And John the Baptist had to remind his guys, that's the guy right there. Not me. He's the one. We're going with Jesus. Remember that. We're always going with Jesus. You come to chapter 4, we're told that the Pharisees realized Jesus was baptized and his fathers were baptizing more people and they were concerned. And Jesus said, this isn't the time for a confrontation. And so he takes off to go back home to the area of Galilee and to do that, the shortest, quickest way just to head straight north is to go through Samaria. And in Samaria, we're Samaritans. And in the New Testament, the Jews and the Samaritans were related, but they're like the Hatfields and McCoys, man. You got, the, you got the West Virginia group and you got the Kentucky group. They can't stand each other. Even though there's some intermarriage, there's some blood relationships, they're fighting. And the Jews and the Samaritans don't get along. It goes all the way back 
750-something years, man. You go to 722, the northern kingdom of Israel is defeated by a group called the Assyrians, and they take those 10 tribes, and they scatter them all over their kingdom, and they take people from all over their kingdom, and they put them in there in that northern part of Israel to the remaining Jews, and those remaining Jews end up intermarrying with them, which Jews weren't supposed to do. And then about 130 years after that, the Babylonians defeat the southern kingdom, and they take those guys, those exiles, they send them to the area of Babylon, only they let them remain unique to their culture so they don't intermarry, they keep their faith, all that. Seventy years later, the Medo-Persian Empire, when they take over, they let those people go back home. And when they go back home, not all of them, but some of them, they find out that the Samaritan, this mixed race of people are all over there. Now understand, Jews believed you've got to have a pure bloodline. And so here they intermarried with Gentiles. That isn't just going to cut it with the Jews. That isn't going to cut it. And so there's this feud on top of that. While the Samaritans believe and worship God, they do it differently. You see, the Samaritans only followed the first five books of what we call the Old Testament, what they call the Scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I just wanted you to know I know what the first five books of the Old Testament are. It's a little bit impressive. Like, well, that's impressive. They're right there. Me and all the kids over in preschool know that. Deacons don't know it. Just me and the preschoolers know it. And as such, they rejected everything else, which means they rejected everything about David, the king, the Messiah, everything about Jerusalem, everything about the temple, all of that they rejected. The, the sacrifices, that they rejected all of that at the temple. They believed that Jacob was the founder of their part of faith, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And so he, he was from the area of Samaria, so that's where they were. They had, a, they had a temple at one time on Mount Gerizim up north until the Jews destroyed it in about 135 B.C., and the interesting thing is, they also didn't, although only followed the first five books of the Bible, they did not believe in the Jewish uh, ceremonial system, so they didn't keep all the dietary laws. So imagine, you're a Jew, and you encounter these people, and A, they've intermarried, so they're not truly Jewish. B, they don't believe anything you believe in terms of David and the temple. They don't believe in Jerusalem as a place of worship. They worship at a false place. And they don't keep the dietary laws. You can't have nothing to do with them. They couldn't socialize with them. They could do merchant uh, commerce with them, sure. It's amazing how we set aside our prejudices and biases when it comes to making money, doesn't it? But socializing, no. So that's the way it was. And Jesus heads up north. They could have gone to Galilee another way. He didn't have time. He says, we're going this way. And as Jesus would do, they're in Samaria. He sends the disciples to do commerce with the Samaritans outside the city of Sychar, which is right next to Mount Gerizim. And we pick up in verse 6 and tells us this, that Jacob's well was there, the well that Jacob dug. That was the sacred site. It's one of the few places in the Old and New Testament that we know exactly where it is to this day. Jesus was wearied from his journey. He was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That means it was about noon. It was probably spring or summer. It was a long old journey. He was hot. He was tired. He was thirsty. There was water. He had no way to get that water. Keep that in mind. But that's where he was. He said, you guys go get food. I'm going to stay right here. Why didn't he go with them? Because Jesus knows what people don't know. He knew what was about to happen next. He didn't need those knuckleheads messing things up. Verse 7 tells us this. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. That woman came out there. Now, understand, Jews didn't deal with Samaritans, and men didn't talk to women. I mean, a Jewish man, listen, were you out in public? The only people you could be close to in public, your wife, your mama, your sister, your daughter, that was it. And here's the really interesting thing. Some of you guys, listen up, you're going to like this part. In public, 
Women didn't talk to you, not even your wife. Your wife was not supposed to talk to you in public. I know what you guys are thinking. I'm thinking, man, oh, man. You can just see the next time you're at home watching that game and she's just hammering you because you got work to do. And you're thinking, baby, why don't we go shopping for a few hours and get something to eat and you just be quiet and not talk to me that whole time. Spend all the money you want. We're going to be okay. That's the world they lived in. And not only that, this woman went there, it says, at noon, she was by herself. Women didn't go anywhere by themselves back then. It's not like much different than the day. You ever see a woman by herself? They're always with people. I mean, he was, they, they, would, they would go in the morning. They would go in the evening to get water because that's when it was cool. She was by herself in the hottest time of the day. Why? Because her people would have nothing to do with her. We're going to see next week when we dig at verse 16 why. Because she had had five husbands and she was living with the guy she was with. Listen, I don't care what culture you're in. At some point, you can have too many wives and husbands. Five is evidently that number. I don't know if it's four. I don't know if three is that magic number. You say, okay, that's too many. But I guarantee you five is too many. And then she had five. And then on top of that, she was living with this guy. Even her own culture had nothing to do with her. So here was this woman. Her belief system was the opposite of what it should have been in the world of Jesus. Her moral life was the opposite of what it should have been in the world of Jesus. She was living a life in rebellion against God. She was living a life in the eyes of any Jew conflicting with God. Both her faith and her life were that way. Which brings up a simple question that we need to ask and know even to this day. What is Jesus' response to people whose lifestyle conflicts with God? That's an important question today. What is the response of Jesus to people when their lifestyle conflicts with God? In the rest of verse 7, he says this to the woman. He said, give me a drink. That's a big deal. Because he didn't have nothing to drink with. He was going to have to use her bucket. He was going to have to use her cup. He was going to have to use whatever she had. And whatever she had was unclean because she was a Samaritan. That means Jesus would be unclean if he drank from it. He was basically unclean because he talked to her. He was breaking down every social barrier right then and there. She didn't. He did. It was Jesus who confronted her. She didn't come looking for Jesus. Jesus came looking for her. He sat by that well, however he knew, because he's the son of God. He knew she was coming, sent the guys go. I don't, he didn't, none of them stayed. However many there were, he sent all of them. He said, all you guys go, I don't need you. I don't need you because I got someone coming I got to meet. Just like he met with Nicodemus, he meets with this woman. He says, give me a drink. Understand, a Jewish man is looking at a Samaritan woman whose faith in life is the opposite of what it should be. And he says, I need you to do me a favor. And she looks at him, we're told, and says, how is it that you, a Jew, asking me for a drink of water? Are you crazy? I wouldn't expect to see anybody. My own people will have nothing to do with me. And here, you're asking me for water? Jesus, in verse 10, answered her. And he said, if you knew the gift of God. Now, what he's saying right here is basically this. If you knew anything about God, the word gift's important. It, it could mean that Jesus is the gift. Some think it means salvation, the gift of salvation. Whatever it means, the bigger overarching issue is this. If you knew anything at all about God, because you don't. By the way, he's challenging her faith. Next week, we're going to see Jesus confront her sin and challenge her faith. He'll, he will do that. He's not going to let her just skate by in a life of rebellion. He said, if you knew anything about the gift of God, 
And if you knew who it is that says to you, if you knew who I am, in all fairness, a lot of people didn't understand who Jesus was. But what he's saying in general, if you had any idea what's happening, and you can't because your life is so messed up, if you knew who says, give me a drink, you would have asked him. Lord, you would have asked me, and I would have given you, he would have given you living water. Now, that well of Jacob's was built over a spring, and that spring had running water. See, back then, you wanted to drink out of running water. It was considered living water. You didn't want to drink out of stagnant water. Even today, if you're thirsty and you're out in the country somewhere, and there's a creek and the water's flowing, or there's a stock pond where the cattle drink, you're probably going to drink out of the living, flowing stream, unless you're like from Oklahoma, maybe. Then you may not. I don't know. No offense to you Okies, but I'm from Texas, so every so often we just got to. But you can get me back, but it's just not right now. And that's the way it is. That water had life. But here's the thing. Because she was a Samaritan, she did not understand the significance of what he was saying. You see, the Samaritans rejected books like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. And in those books, it talked about living water, that living water being connected to God. That God was living water with grace and power and the ability to transform a life. She didn't get that. Because in her faith, she rejected all that. She looks at him and says, you don't have any way to draw water. What are you talking about? But then she asks, makes a more important statement. It's a rhetorical question. She's, she, remember, she's, she's rejected everything about David. They don't buy the whole David is the, you know, you know, the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of David. And, and, you know, in Jerusalem, she didn't buy all that. Everything to her is about Jacob. And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? I mean, everybody, Jews and Samaritans both love Jacob. He was a patriarch to all of them. And she says, are you, are you greater than Jacob? You're not, are you? Verse 13, Jesus answered. And he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. So look, he's sitting by the water. He says, you drink of that water, you're going to get thirsty again. But he moves from just that physical water to something more, to the idea of living water. And in verse 14, he says this, but whoever... Freaks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The word never is emphatic. It's a double negative in Greek. I've told you all before, double negatives in Greek are good, not in English. I know in English are not good because I use them in several English papers, and I get ripped apart from that. I always want to go back to my English teachers and say, man, if you only knew Greek, you would know how right I was. It means, there's a good saying where I come from, ain't no way. Ain't no. It's a double negative. It's emphatic. He said, he said, you ain't no way you'll ever thirst. But he's not talking about physical thirst. He says, the water that I will give him, or you, or whoever, but it's written in the third person. The water I will give him will become in a well of him water springing up. And he says, to eternal life. In other words, the water I have in like this water. It's water that springs up to eternal life. Eternal life's the important part. John writes a lot about eternal life coming to Jesus. In John 10, Jesus is quoted as saying, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give to them eternal life. He says, I've come that you might have life to the fullest. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and he who dies and believes will never, I mean, he who lives and believes will never die. Do you believe this? He says, I'm life. Life is life the way it's supposed to be. You die the eternal, it's forever. Listen, I'm going to give you forever life. You understand, 
This life on earth has a terminating point. It has a beginning point. That beginning point of life is at conception, by the way, in case you didn't know that. The ending point of life is death. But even though life on this earth ends, life as such does not end. We keep going on. Everybody spends eternity somewhere. You know that, right? You either spend it with God because of your faith in Jesus, or you spend it with the judgment of God because of you've spent your life rejecting him. Jesus says, I can give you everlasting living, eternal life with God. I have the ability to do that. He's looking past her sin. He's looking past her rebellion. He's looking past all her problems and all the prejudices. He didn't care about any of that. He says, the way you are right now, it doesn't matter what your life has been so far, I can change your life and give you eternal life. I can do that. In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me the water, and I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw again. Now, I don't think she fully understands all there is to understand, but she knows there's something different about Jesus. And she knows they're going way past regular water and thirst. And she looks at him and says, whatever you have, I want it. Here is the beginning of faith with Jesus encountering a woman. And next week, I want you to know, we're going to see him confront her sin. And next week, we're going to see him challenge her faith. But right here, he confronts this woman and offers her the one thing she needs more than anything else eternal life. Our journeys take us a lot of places. Oftentimes I talk about life as a journey and say we're either, we're either going to God or away from God. If you're not a follower of Christ, you're going away from God. You're fighting him. If you are a follower of Christ, you're going to God on your journey. And once you become a follower of Jesus, he sends, he, people come into our lives who need Jesus. It happens to me a lot. I don't, I don't, I'm not one of these preachers that every time I meet someone, I feel like I got to share the gospel with them. I don't, you know, like if I'm flying, all I want to do is sleep. I really do. I can sleep on a plane like nobody's business. Thank goodness I'm not the pilot, man. That's all I can say. Or that I'm not the weight person who's offering the stuff because I'd be asleep. You know, but, but I encounter people and, 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 I, and I get it. And so lately I've started listening to alternative heavy metal music with an infusion of hip-hop. You young guys, you listen to that? Just, you, we, we listen to the same stuff, right? And you may say, why are you listening to alternative heavy metal music with an infusion of hip-hop? Because I met a guy, and he's in a band. He's not in a band with a bunch of college kids. This guy's a pro, and his group is good. And they're really good, especially if you like alternative heavy metal music with an infusion of hip-hop which I don't necessarily like, but I'm listening to it for the connection. You see, I was sitting here one day in this place, minding my own business. Had a few minutes, and in walks this couple. I mean, they walk in, bouncing in, and they're in like late 20s, early 30s, and she, she's a cute girl, but she's got blue and silver hair. Looks like she's a fan of the Dallas Cowboys before they lost to Green Bay, but she's got that hair color, you know? <laughs> and she's got a few extra things added to her body. He comes in, and he's got long hair. You know, I grew up in the 70s, so I get that. He's got tats all over everywhere, man. He's got gauges in his ear. He's dressed all in black. And they sit down, and so we just begin having this conversation. And I find out he's in a band that plays alternative heavy metal music with an infusion of hip-hop. I got the website. I got a way to get a hold of him to, before everything else goes on. At some point, I do plan on contacting them again about some stuff. But here's the thing. 
we just begin talking, and they're from the South, and she's a Southern girl, and they're just as nice as can be. I mean, friendliest people. They're talking, they find out, you know, that I'm widowed, and we just talk about that, and they have a, she's telling me, he has a great song about when you lose someone that you ought to listen to. I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's probably the same song that I would listen to, but okay, I, I did it, we got it. And we're talking, and so when I talk to people, I usually ask one or two questions. I either say, where are you from? Because if I ask you where you're from, you probably got to ask me where I'm from, right? And I'm going to say, I'm from San Antonio, Texas, but right now I live in Las Cruces, New Mexico. That way they'll say, well, why did you move to Las Cruces, New Mexico? You think that's that? You've been asked that too. That and why did you marry him? I know you get asked those questions a lot. I should make fun. You're the plan B that we relied on today. Excuse me about that. I'll take you out to dinner sometime, both of you. I'll take care of that. Where was I in this enchanting story? Oh, yeah. And... Um, you know, they're, they're, so uh, the other question I ask is what, especially if they're like my age, like, what do you do for a living? Because they're almost always going to ask, what do you do for a living? The answer to both those questions, like, why did you go to Crucis? What do you do? I'm the pastor. So we're talking, and eventually, we don't got much time left. We got minutes left. I'm saying, Lord, we got to do something, got to do something. I'm not going to share the gospel, but I got to get someplace with them. And so she asked, what do you do in Las Cruces? I said, thank you, Jesus. I said, I am the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And she goes, oh. And then she caught herself and said, I'm sorry I gave you the, oh, you're a pastor face. <laughs> He's sorry he did that too. He says, I didn't give him that face. She says, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> she goes, I was born a strict Methodist. Then my church began associated with Joel Osteen. She does have a religious background. He said, yeah, I was Catholic and now I'm pagan. <laughs> I said, you're, like, you're pagan. This is going to be fun. <laughs> we talked for a few minutes. We don't have time. I don't have time. So we get up to leave and, and, and to, you know, for all of this, here's what... I know I only got a few moments. I got, I, what do I do, Jesus? What do I do? So I look at them and I say, here's what I want you to know. And I got information in exchange down the line. I said, here, if you're ever in Las Cruces, here's what I want you to know. You come to my church and you'll be welcome just the way you are. And I sure hope you come. Because I want him to know and I want her to know that despite all their differences in the lifestyle that they live, which I know is in conflict with God, that there is at least one Baptist pastor who likes him and wants him to come be a part of things. See, I asked the question earlier, what is Jesus' response to people who live in conflict with God, their lifestyles? There's another question, it's this, what is our responsibility to people whose lifestyle is in conflict with God? What's our responsibility? It's not to change them. It's to get them to Jesus. Listen, I say all the time, you don't have to change to come to Jesus, but you understand that when you come to Jesus, you will change. It's not that there doesn't need to be changed. There does. The woman at the well needed to change her life, but Jesus didn't say, hey, look, I can't talk to you. Hang on a second. One of you disciples, he didn't wait for the disciple to come and say, hey, look, whoever, um, Philip, you come here, you're, you're going to do. You go tell that woman that as soon as she starts believing the right things and as soon as she gets her life cleaned up, then I'll talk to her. He didn't say that. He just started talking to her. He's going to confront her sin. He just went talking to her. People need Jesus. Last week, I was watching the Super Bowl, and I saw this commercial. And it, I've seen these commercials before, and I've seen billboards before, and they just frustrate me so much. They really make me angry. But the gist of the, the commercial is about Jesus, and it says he gets us. You see that? He gets us. He gets us. That's slang. And basically what it means is you're really okay. He accepts you. And I'm like, ah, I hate that. If you just said Jesus loves us, and went to the cross for you. Well, okay. Now, it, 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 this whole 
commercial series is meant to be provocative, and it's meant for guys like me to talk about it so they're getting their wish. I don't know if they want, know if they want me to slam them to shreds like I would do, but anyways, that's what happens. So I, I know about the group that this is with. They're from a group called Come Near, Inc., and come near Inc., and he gets us, and if you get them on the websites, what you begin to find out if you do research is that they're really not a Christian organization. They're, they're, they're an organization of people, some of whom are Christians. They say there are many, the word many is always a clue, that means more than one, but not everybody. Many who, you know, have traditional beliefs about the Bible and the cross and the resurrection and all that, which means there's plenty that don't. And their purpose in all of this isn't for people to have a saving relationship with Jesus. Their purpose, is, as they define in, in, in their material, is so that people will have a new understanding of Jesus. And I'm like, what in the world do you mean by that? You see, it sounds real good to just say he gets us. But we need to understand that Jesus loves us. But if you mean that he gets us, he just accepts us the way we are, you need to read the Bible a little bit. See, in the New Testament, Mark says this about Jesus. Mark 8, 34, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You've got to deny yourself. In other words, you can't just keep being the way you are and think it's okay. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. Mark says he loved that guy. He looked at that rich young ruler. He loved him and said, go take everything you have now and sell it, give it to the poor because that's what your problem is, and you come follow me, but I love you. It says he walked away, that old guy, that young guy did very sad because he was rich. He wouldn't change. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give his life to Christ. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 17 says this, that he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And people say, see, he didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Read verse 18, which says this, he who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe in the Son of God stands condemned already because you did not believe in the only Son of God. You know why Jesus doesn't condemn us? Because he has already understands we're condemned. He didn't have to condemn us. We've condemned ourselves. Understand this. Jesus loves us, even though we're sinners. But he doesn't accept us in our sin and rebellion against God. That's why he went to the cross. In Mark 1.15, he says, repent. Change your life and believe the gospel. Jesus loved that woman at the well. Oh, man, he loved her. He talked to her when her own people wouldn't talk to her. He had something to do with her when no one else would have anything to do with her. And as we'll see next week, and then he reminded her of the sin in her life. And he reminded her of the falseness of her faith, so much so that when she went back to her people, she told them, he told me things about myself, no one knew but him. And he knew, and he loved her, and he cared about her, and he offered her eternal life, just like he does to me and to you. He knows all about us. He knows our sin. He knows our failure. He knows our rebellion against God. And he loves us. He doesn't accept us. He loves us. And he says, come here. He wants us to come and ask us 
to come to him. He wants us to come and then to ask him, Jesus, give me life, eternal life. That's what you got to have. You got to have eternal life. And when you have eternal life, he'll take care of the rest. He'll take you down that path. He'll take you down that journey. He'll take you where you need to be. But understand, there's a place you need to be. And where you need to be is with Jesus. So I began the message today saying that Jesus can do what no one else can do. Despite who you are and what you've done, he can save you, but you need to be saved. And you need to come to him just the way you are. You don't change a thing, but you come to him, knowing he'll change your life. And you come to him and you give your life to him. And you come to him and you ask him to forgive you of your sin. And you come to him and you say, here I am. Give me eternal life. And he will. Some of you need to do that today. And those of you who are followers of Jesus, do you understand? We got to quit trying to change people. Our job isn't to change them and our job isn't to accept them. Our job is to love them and help them understand that, yes, Jesus loves them. That's why he went to the cross. And it's at the cross they must meet him and give their life to him and he will change their life. Some of us will be standing here, and if you need to give your life to Christ, you come give your life to Christ. If you want to join our church, you can join our church. If you want us to pray with you, we'll pray with you. If you want us to pray for someone you love who's not a follower of Jesus, we will do that. Whatever you must do today, you do. But walk out of this place, walk out of these doors today knowing this, that you, my friend, can have eternal life. Even if you play in a band that plays alternative heavier metal music with an infusion of hip-hop. Father, we do love you. I hope we love you. I hope and pray we love you. I love you. God, we need Jesus. More than anything, it's just what we need. We need an awful lot of Jesus. There are people who need to give their life to you. In every one of our services, there'll be someone who needs to give their life to you. In every section of our church today, someone will need to give their life to you. And I pray that like that woman, they'll experience Jesus in a brand new way and they'll get eternal life, the living water. And I pray that those of us that follow Jesus will share that living water, that we'll love people and help them come to faith because Jesus, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. All that matters is that we have life, life in Christ. Amen. Would you stand?